Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, We're continuing in our series, uh, What We Need to Lead, looking at the life and leadership of King Solomon, uh, who's the second king of Israel following David last week. Uh, We had a bit of an intro into the series and uh, looked at the handover from King David to King Solomon. And one of the clear things in reading that narrative that I've taken away is that Solomon's leadership is mixed. There's some amazing things that happen under Solomon's leadership. And there's some not great things uh, that happen through his leadership. And we'll, we'll see that as the narrative goes. And we're kind of walking through uh, the story of his life, uh, taking glimpses of different parts, but also thinking how it fits in the full narrative. Because when you read a story, uh, you don't just keep stopping and discussing, or well, I guess you do work things a chapter at a time sometimes, but stories are meant to be told in its entirety. So that's what I'll keep reiterating is how do we understand it in its context, in its, uh, in its uh, full flow of the, the story, the narrative. There's so much to learn. And one of the, one of the things, um, a reminders of his leadership is mixed from verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to 1 Kings, chapter 3, verse 3. This isn't on the slides, but Solomon uh, showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. So there's, that's great. Solomon's walking with the Lord, walking in the commands that he had been given by the Lord as instructed by his dad, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Except he was still... Uh, doing other things, turning to other places. These high places are the places that the other nations before him used to worship their gods. And in Deuteronomy, explicitly prohibited worshiping in those places. Later on in Kings, this was the tool that was used to describe a bad king, was they worshiped in the high places. And so right from, uh, we keep getting these messages that his leadership is mixed. It's mixed. But what we come to today is probably one of the most significant moments in Solomon's life uh, before we saw um, his his coronation and how he came into uh, being king. But now he kind of gets his own personal one-on-one coronation with God through a dream. And he's given the opportunity to ask whatever he wants. And we hear he asks for wisdom. So let's, uh, let's read, and if we're going to um, go through this narrative of the next two chapters. Notice what the author is trying to teach us through it, and kind of follow the structure. We're going to look at Solomon's request for uh, wisdom, the demonstration of wisdom, and then the result of wisdom. So the first thing, the request of wisdom, uh, read from verse 4 with me. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was most important. Uh, sorry, the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Uh, it's, it's thought that the tabernacle, that's where the tabernacle ended. And um, uh, so that's, that is the place that God has set aside for worship at that time before the temple was built. It's a bit of context. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. 
Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God offers Solomon anything. Ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon, in probably one of his greatest moments, he gets it right here. And he, he, his response, his pray, kind of follows a, 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 um, a pattern, like a fourfold pattern. The first thing he does is he recognizes God's kindness in the past. He said, you were kind. And even that word used this, chesed, is kind is too weak a translation, your loving kindness, your desire, your love, your grace shown to my father, David. And that, that grace, that love, that kindness continues for me. He recognizes that God was kind in the past and he recognizes that God is, is kind to him now. And then he recognizes the gravity of the role he's in. This is so great a kingdom that you've put me in charge of. People far too numerous to count, a responsibility far too big for me to be able to handle. And Solomon, he doesn't ask God to change the problem. He doesn't ask God to take the problem away. He doesn't ask God to uh, give him uh, uh, resources in order to make the problem easier. What he does, he asks for what he needs to in order to face the problem. He, re- he recognizes what he needs for God. For, sorry, what he needs from God in order to serve God. And he asks for wisdom. Although technically he asks for a discerning heart, an understanding heart. And Solomon, who's known for his wisdom, he asks for a, a understanding heart. So not just a skill or ability, but, but actually an attitude of the heart and mind. The word used there is heart, but we don't understand it as emotions or, or that, like that kind of desiring heart. But the Hebrew translation of the word heart was more about your mind, your thinking, your logic, your what was, um, you know, what you were trying to, trying to do and reason. And so he wanted a understanding mind, an understanding heart. It was about his attitude. It was about his posture. He didn't want a, a, a heart that would, or a mind that would be able to tell other people what to do necessarily. What he, what he wanted was one that would understand, that would listen, that would hear, would recognize what is actually going on. So that, so that he might be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And that's uh, what, what wisdom is all about. It's an attitude of the mind and the heart. It's a posture of listening and understanding. It's about discerning what is right and wrong. 
I've heard it explained. It's like a soccer game. You've got the, um, or a football game, if you're from Europe or the, kind of the rest of the world. If you've got, uh, you, you, we all know the rules. And as a, as a Jewish person, as a Christian, we know the law that we have to obey. And we know the rules. And if we sit in there, if we go on the, we play the game, we get out there and we, we sit there, we don't touch the ball with our hands because we know that's wrong. We start on the right side of the field and we know that's, that's the right thing to do. And we obey all those rules, but then don't do anything else. Are we playing a good game? We just stand there, you know, avoiding the ball and not... Wisdom is playing the game well. It's not just following the rules, but knowing what to do in the right situations, where to go, who to pass to, playing the game well. Discerning what is right and wrong. And, and Solomon asked that in order to lead his people. He needs wisdom, understanding, discernment. And what is God's answer? How does God respond to that? Let's keep reading. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this. He was pleased. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, you haven't asked for this problem to go away, but you've asked for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor there will ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that you're, in your lifetime there will be no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke and he realized it had all been a dream. God says, of all the, he, he is pleased that of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he asked, Solomon asked for the thing that will help him do what God has commanded him to do, which is to lead God's people. And so he says, yes, I will give you wisdom and so much more. Wealth and, and power, uh, and honor more than any other king at that time. But he says, if you, he kind of adds on to that, if you walk in my ways like your father, if you walk in my ways, then I will lengthen your days, that you will be a king that will last. And this, this, this reminds, of, reminds us of the promise of an eternal king, an eternal kingdom that God gave to David that there will be one who would come who would walk in the ways of the Lord and would reign forever and be king forever. Now Solomon lived uh, to about 60 years old uh, because though he was, he was wise, he didn't necessarily live wise. And as, as the story goes on, we'll see that Solomon didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. There's lots he did well, but in the end, he didn't. And we'll talk a bit about that later. But the, one of the great things he does do, the, the very thing, he wakes up from the dream and he returns to Jerusalem and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant and he sacrifices burnt offering and fellowship offering. He goes to worship God even before he sees the answer that, or, or evidence that God has given what he promised. He worshiped God. 
It's a good thing to do. The, the narrative moves on. We've seen this, this scene where God gives Solomon wisdom and he gives a demonstration of it. How does this wisdom work out? Like what's, what's the actual nature of it? How do we see it played out in an actual demonstration? And, and so this next part of the narrative is this well-known story uh, from the Old Testament, from Solomon's life, of the two prostitutes that come to him. And so, um, well, let's, let's read that. So from verse 16. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. So these two women, these two prostitutes had uh, babies in, in uh, nearby each other. And um, during the night, verse 19 this woman, the other woman's son, died because she laid on him. Uh, it's a horrible thing to happen. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, where I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. And the next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that the, it wasn't the son that I had born. And the other woman said, no, the living one is my son. And the, the, the dead one is yours. But the first one insist, insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living is mine. So they argued before the king. This really tragic situation uh, for these two women living together. So obviously they were close, they were friends or family potentially and both having children. One dies and in desperation that mother swaps the children. And then they bring this issue before Solomon. And one thing to notice is how do two prostitutes get a, a, a seating with the king? What a great demonstration of Solomon's generosity and desire for justice to even uh, allow these women to bring, like in the scheme of the whole kingdom, a, a pretty minor issue before him. But he does hear them out. And he's this, this situation, I don't know what you feel about it, but I don't see an easy answer. I don't see an easy solution to this problem. And, and if, it were, if it were up to me, I feel like, the the like go by finders keepers the, the woman who who has the living child at the moment there's really no way to tell otherwise and I would think we'll just go with like it's a horrible thing to say but that, like there's no other option to to tell which is the mother which is the child how it, Solomon's put in this lose lose situation how is he going to discern what is right. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While the other says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. And so the king says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king and he gave an order. Cut the living child in two. 
and give half to one and half to the other. What a bold response to, you know, in a sense, I guess it's fair if both children are dead. It's just, what's he thinking to, to cut this child in two? But of course, we know, we probably know the, the end of the story. We, we know he doesn't intend to kill the child, but he tends to reveal the hearts of the mothers. Because the woman whose son was alive, verse 26, deeply moved out of love for her son, said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. That seems fair to me. And the king gave this ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. What Solomon do, does, he sets up this situation to discern which woman loves the child and which woman desires the child. And it teaches us an important lesson of the difference between love and desire. The, the, the actual mother of the child loves the child, loves the child, would sacrifice her own place as, as a mother for the life of that child. But the other mother, grieving the loss of her own son, wants that role, wants that intimacy, wants that child. Solomon, uh, he's, he's given this understanding to discern, to see, to, to know what's going on behind people's hearts. A great display of his wisdom. And all of Israel is in awe of his wisdom. When Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And that, there's a line there that I think explains, um, kind of answers a conundrum. I don't know if you've been following or perhaps you've read 1 Kings before and, and followed the life of Solomon and you've read the wisdom writing of Solomon in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs and in, in other writings. If you've ever wondered, like, how is this guy who makes all these mistakes writing such profound wisdom? And the answer is in that verse. It's not coming from him. It's the wisdom of God through him. He's given profound wisdom from God in order to govern his people. He's equipped by God to, to serve God's purposes on God's mission. He had the wisdom from God to administer justice. So very quickly in chapter 4, we'll, we'll kind of skim over this a bit. But this kind of unpacks what's the result of uh, Solomon's governance. What's the result of Solomon's wisdom? How does that actually work out for Israel? And it starts off by um, uh, sharing the chief officials, and then uh, of all the, then it um, shares all the twelve district governors over the different areas of Israel. And if anyone's pregnant, uh, the, there's here's a great list of baby names you can consider. Like Zabad, Ashishar, uh, Ben Geber, all the, you know, just just go through the list. Like here, here's your, here's the um, the name of the next children being born. Anyway, <laughs> but so so there's all that going on. But then there's something I found really interesting to see. Uh, the next um, uh, 
Hittite from 20 onward kind of just describes the, the extent and the, the prosperity of Israel's kingdom and it describes under uh, Solomon's reign and under Solomon's government, what's, what's the extent of Israel's kingdom? He rules uh, from 4 verse 21, and Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and all uh, were Solomon's subjects all his life. Now that verse is profoundly interesting if you know uh, the promise that God had given to Israel, to Abraham. Could I have that um, map up? Just to, to describe, show you um, the extent of, of God's kingdom, of, of, sorry, the kingdom of Israel under Solomon's reign. This is a direct uh, fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham uh, that, that he would be given um, uh, this land from the, ri- the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, in the land of the Kenites, the Kezazites, the Kemenites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites will all come under Israel. This is a fulfillment of God's promise that Solomon, because of his wisdom, was able to achieve, that God gifted to him. And there's more. uh, From 1 Kings uh, 4.24, it's shown that there's a profound peace in the area. Uh, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River from uh, Tifsha to Gaza and and, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. Everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. There was peace in Israel also led to an incredible army and, and political power. Uh, verse 26 talks about all the, uh, the 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. We'll come back uh, to that a bit later. It also talks of Solomon's fame uh, and, and the, 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 the honor of his wisdom, the, the, the legend of Solomon's wisdom that kind of went throughout the whole world. Uh, from verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and great insight, the breadth of understanding as measureless as a sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than uh, Haman, uh, Kalkol or Darda, the sons of Mahol. More baby names there. And this fame spread to all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life uh, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. From all the nations, all the nations, people came to Solomon to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon's wisdom was legendary in the known world. And nations from all over the known world would come to Solomon. Nations from all over the world would come to Israel to to hear of this wisdom. And Solomon passed it on through proverbs and songs. and, And this is another reminder of one of the promises given to Abraham. Part of the covenant given to Abraham was that he would be, uh, under Abraham would be a country, a people, um, and he would be, make, be made a great nation. 
and God would bless this nation and make their name great so that you would be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and, and him who dishonors you I will curse and I will give uh, in you all families of the earth, uh, sorry, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. And so what we see through the governance of Solomon because of the wisdom given by God, Solomon leads Israel to fulfill that part of God's promise that all nations would be blessed through Israel. And you see what's happening here. Solomon is given the task of leading God's people, and Solomon knows he can't do it. He doesn't ask God to take this problem away or to to give him resources to make it easier for him. He asks God to equip him with what he needs to lead these people. And so God gives Solomon wisdom. But in doing that, through Solomon's reign, God fulfills his promises to Abraham, his promises to the Israelite people. God gives Solomon what he needs to fulfill God's purposes. And this we see throughout Scripture. We see this pattern in the New Testament as well. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. He says, ask for the Spirit and God will give it to us. Paul said, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And the purpose of God's gifts to us, and when he equips us, when he gives us things we need to, the things we need in order to, Uh, to to lead, to do whatever we have to do. He does that so that we might see his kingdom grow, his name glorified, his gospel proclaimed. And we talked about this when we went through uh, 1 Corinthians 12. God gives gifts to the church so that the purposes of God might be fulfilled through the church. God gives Solomon what he needs to lead uh, so that God's people uh, might fulfill God's promises through Solomon's leadership. And so when we're thrusted into uh, insurmountable circumstances, problems or issues or challenges that we can't possibly face on our own. We think it's far too much for me to handle. How do we pray into those circumstances? How do we pray into a circumstance like Ukraine? Do we pray for that whole problem to go away? There's an element we should be praying for the end of that war. But, but perhaps what God is doing is he's fulfilling his purposes. And, and what we should be praying is, God, equip us with what we need to seek and serve and love and fulfill your purpose in that situation. We'll see people like Trish going over and serving on the front line or pretty much close to the front line any of us would ever get. God equips us not to get rid of the problem, but to walk through it, to actually fulfill his promises to us. Do we ask for circumstances to change or for wisdom and strength to remain faithful to God through it? There's one more thing I want to observe, and this is more stepping back a little bit and thinking, how does this part of the story fit in the wider narrative? Because if you remember the measure by which us, the readers, are to assess Solomon's uh, life and leadership, it's the law. How is he going walking with God? 
And what does the law say about generating wealth, taxing the people, having many horses specifically? Because in Deuteronomy, it says, don't accumulate great amounts of wealth. Don't accumulate, especially don't get horses from Egypt. And the lesson here is just because Solomon was wise doesn't mean he lived wisely. And these statements about Solomon's wealth, fame, and power, and there'll be even more that will come, it, it, it describes the extent of his success, but also uncovers his vulnerability. Solomon's wisdom led to his success, but as the passage moves on, it's clear his, that this wealth and power, though they were a gift from God, Solomon begins to trust in those things rather than Yahweh, rather than God who gave it to him. And it's this success uh, that leads Solomon to become complacent, entitled, arrogant. It's this success that leads him to think, I can do this. And he starts making uh, unwise decisions based on his own wisdom, as his father, David, unwisely told him to. He trusts in his own strength rather than God's. It's this success that leads him to feel entitled to a bigger house even than God. We'll hear about this uh, in the weeks to come. Solomon's palace was bigger, more extravagant than the temple of God. And it's in his success that leads him to think, I don't need to follow God's law. And he justifies disobeying that, taking on many wives, receiving uh, chariots from Egypt, accumulating enormous amounts of wealth. He feels like he deserves this. He's entitled to it. Look at all the good that he's doing. And how often leaders are blinded by our own success. We get complacent. We get arrogant. We get entitled. And that's when we fail at being faithful. When does success which is given by God, become an idol to serve, to protect, to sacrifice to. It might be our careers, our jobs, our, our, uh, our ministry, our homes, even our family. Gifts from God to be celebrated and enjoyed, but we're vulnerable that they become idols, that we become entitled complacent, arrogant. We all need what Solomon asked for, for wisdom. And above all, we need to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus has given us everything we need to be with him, to walk with him. We need forgiveness of our sins. He's given that. We need new life. He has given us that. We need a model to follow. He has given us that. We need a guide to show us the way. And he's given us that through the Spirit. And we can't take these things for granted or become complacent or entitled or arrogant that we've got it better than anyone else, that we're entitled to even to sin because of all the great stuff we're doing or that God has done through us. Jesus has given us everything and all we bring to the table is our sin and brokenness in faith and repentance. Jesus has given us everything we need to live and to lead and all we need to do is walk with him.
the role of a Christian leader before anything else, the role of any Christian person is to walk faithfully with the Lord. You heard this last week. You're going to hear it again uh, in the future. And I'm, I'm not sorry that we keep, uh, keep going on about this. But what we need is to walk faithfully with our Lord, to listen to what he has to say to us, to obey what he has to say, to live out what he has to say, to share what he has to say to the world. What we need is to walk faithfully with Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to stop and reflect on our own lives. I wonder if there's anyone here with challenges we are facing that are just so great and just so overwhelming. We can't see uh, the way out. We can't see how we might be able to survive under this. And Lord, we just pray uh, for wisdom, for an understanding heart that we might be able to discern what is right and wrong. And in those situations, we might be able to uh, walk faithfully with you, that we might all up, uphold justice, biblical justice, your justice uh, for the oppressed, the poor, the needy, the, the hurt. Lord, we pray that you would equip us and give us what we need to, in order to face those challenges. And through that, that you would fulfill your promises to us. And Lord, in situations where we've seen success, where we've seen prosperity, where we've seen your great gifts generously given to us, we pray we would not become entitled or complacent or arrogant about those things. That we'd rightly recognize that you are the one who has shown us kindness and you continue to show us kindness. And apart from you, we have nothing. There's nothing that we bring before you except our own sin and brokenness and everything wrong with us, which you have cleansed, which you have forgiven. And Lord, we, we just pray that you would guide us to continue to live and walk with Jesus daily in his word, in prayer, in dependence on you, in community. And Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the work that Jesus has done to make that possible for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.